Tonight I want to begin by asking the question, how would you rate your spiritual growth in Christ? Sometimes we think about where we are in terms of our spiritual maturity. The goal of every Christian is spiritual growth. We want to grow, and we can grow, but it takes effort, as you well know. So, as you reflect upon your spiritual life, how would you rate your growth in Christ? Have you grown over the past year? Over the course of the last five years, can you see a significant difference in your maturity level? I think about young people as they begin school. Typically today, we start our young folks off in preschool, and then they go to elementary, and then there are intermediate grades, and then followed by high school, etc. But the goal is, as young people, to grow. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about growth in Christ. And I want to encourage you to follow along in our study tonight. And I do want to just very quickly say before we begin that I know that summertime is here and a lot of folks are coming and going and we need to be prayerful for those who are traveling to and from various destinations. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we have to travel, to go, to relax, to enjoy a vacation. And I want to remind all of us, don't forget the Lord in our travels. So tonight, let's think for a minute or two about our growth in Christ. I want to begin our study tonight by asking you to turn with me to the book of 3 John. And I want you to listen to what John says as he writes to a brother in Christ by the name of Gaius. The elder, John, of course, by the time he penned this particular epistle, would have been older by way of years. He would have been a senior citizen, as we say. And he is writing to a beloved friend in Christ, a man by the name of Gaius. And John said, whom I love in truth. And then in verse 2 he said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. And then note if you would in verse 4. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. To walk in truth is simply to walk in compliance with God's Word. And as John writes, this beloved brother in Christ, a man by the name of Gaius, he specifically speaks of his physical state. Also, he talks about his material state. And I think by way of reading the material, you could draw the conclusion that possibly Gaius wasn't in the best of health. I doubt Financially speaking, he was very well off. But John said he was prospering spiritually. I would assume that Gaius was growing in truth. Our goal as God's people is to grow. We want to 
grow in grace and knowledge, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. In order to accomplish that, it takes a lot of, a lot of effort, doesn't it? It takes a lot of time studying and meditating on the truth of God, trying to, trying to ascertain knowledge of God's Word. And so I want, I want you to think with me for a moment or two tonight about this idea of growing in truth. And I want to just very quickly cite for you what we're going to cover tonight in our study. First, I want to talk about an appreciation for truth. And I believe that we have to have a deep and abiding appreciation for the truth of God. And then I want us to talk about an apprehension of truth. And when we talk about apprehending the truth of God, we're simply saying that we can know and understand God's Word. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the application of God's truth. How do we apply it? And that's very important. So let's begin by talking about an appreciation for truth. This lesson, very simple. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. What we're going to be talking tonight, many of you have thought about, you've studied. And so what I want to do is to encourage us to strive to the best of our ability to grow in truth. It begins by appreciating the truth of Almighty God. So let's think for a minute or two about an appreciation for the truth. I want to suggest tonight that it is important, if not imperative, that we prize God's truth. There are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, truth educates. Think about that for a minute. The intent of truth is that it educates. Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3? All Scripture is inspired of God. In other words, Scripture is God-breathed. Peter said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And God gave His truth bit by bit, piece by piece, over a period of about 1,500 years. God's Word was written by about 40 different men under superintendents of the Holy Spirit. And so, truth is intended to educate us. Again, Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And then listen to what Paul said, and is profitable. God intends for His Word to profit us. Sadly, we live in a day and time when many people fail to understand the profitability of God's Word. God's Word is, in, is intended to be a blessing, not a curse, right? God wants to bless us, but the only way that He can bless us is if we live in compliance with His Holy Word. And so you think about how truth is intended to educate us, and then secondly, the intent of truth is to elevate us. What do I mean by truth elevating? Wherever God's Word has gone, it has always raised the bar in terms of how people live. You think about how civilizations, past and present, have either been elevated because of truth, or if they have abdicated truth, what happens? There is oftentimes a significant decline, isn't there? Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, he said, Righteousness exalts a nation, 
But sin is a reproach unto any people. Think about the country in which we live tonight. We've been blessed to live in America, and I think about how God has showered this country with so many, many blessings. And if you go back and you look at the history of our nation, you'll see that many of our founding fathers, men and women who invested their lives in the betterment of this country, they had, by and large, a deep and abiding respect for God's Word, didn't they? They believed in the ideals of Scripture, and they really believed that the success or failure of our nation was tied to our allegiance to God and His Word. And so as Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Our nation has thrived for over 200 years. I really believe one reason is because we have invested in truth, haven't we? As a nation of people, we have bought into the idea that the ideals of Scripture, that those ideals are intended to bless us. And yet, as a result of men and women abdicating the Word of God today, we have faced some tough times, haven't we? You know, when you look at our nation today and you think about some of the problems that are plaguing us, many of those problems could be reversed if we would go back and recognize that what God says is true and that God's ways, they work, don't they? I would encourage anyone, look, just give God the benefit of the doubt. Allow His Word to reign, to rule in your life for a period of time. I promise you, you'll see a difference in your life. If our nation would step back and recognize that our prosperity has been tied to our allegiance to God and His Word, it'd be helpful, wouldn't it? Now Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation, but he said, the flip side of that is, Sin is a reproach unto any people. If righteousness exalts nations, then sin ultimately leads to its destruction. And the carnage of nations in the past, the carnage of those nations is there for us historically speaking, isn't it? I mean, ask the question, where is that great Assyrian empire? Where is Babylon today? Where is Greece? What about the Roman Empire? And you think about what a powerful empire that was. Christianity was born in the cradle of the Roman Empire. And yet those nations, those kingdoms, those, those well, they're gone, aren't they? Now, not only should we prize the truth, but I want to suggest tonight that we purchase the truth. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 many, many years ago? He said, my heart stands in awe of your word. Now think about that for a minute. The psalmist in the long ago is saying, my heart stands in awe of your word. wonder why that was the case. Why do you think the psalmist of old had tremendous respect or reverence for the Word of God? Could I give you a couple of reasons? Now Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. I think number one, because truth brings peace. Look at, look at people in our world today. 
Isn't it amazing the problems that people are having in America today? Many of those problems self-inflicted. I mean, look at the numbers, the vast numbers of people in our nation tonight who are struggling with various types of addictions, whether it be alcohol, prescription drugs, some other type of chemical substance. I mean, there are people tonight who right now are looking for a fix. They're trying to find a fix somewhere from someone, aren't they? Do you think they have peace in their life? And then look at the number of homes across America that are in trouble. Look at the number of husbands and wives that when it's all said and done, have no peace. I'm talking about their relationship is not one of peace. You know, Jesus said one time, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But God intends... For marriage, the home, He intends for that to be a peaceful domain, doesn't He? I mean, doesn't God want us to live under the umbrella of peace and harmony? Sure He does. You know, as Christians, we enjoy peace with God. We have, as Paul would say, the peace that passes all understanding. And you think about taking the truth of Almighty God, making it a part of our lives, and enjoying the benefits of divine peace. Peace is possible. The psalmist said, Great peace have those who love your law. Show me people that have respect or reverence for the Word of God and who are striving to the best of their ability to live in harmony with truth. I'll show you people that have peace in their lives. Now, I'm not saying that, that they don't have choppy waters from time to time. I'm not saying that they don't have problems and difficulties because we all do. We live in a world filled with pain and trouble and difficulty. Job wrote many years ago, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, didn't he? But there's this sense of inner peace, serenity, if you please, that accompanies those of us who are in Christ and who are trying to live by His Word. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they don't have peace because they don't have God's Word abiding in their lives. Not only does truth bring peace, but I would suggest to you it brings prosperity. Now when John wrote centuries ago to Gaius, John said, look, your soul is prospering. Why was that? Because he was walking in truth. Because truth was paramount in his life, wasn't it? Do you remember Joshua in the long ago? God said in Joshua chapter 1 and about verse 8. He had told him in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. In verse 9 he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. He said, you are to meditate it, you are to meditate on it day and night. And you are to live in obedience to all that is written in it. And then here's what he said. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You want to be prosperous in life? You know, there are a lot of people that are working fanatically to try to gain a foothold in the world. They want to be prosperous. They want to be successful. And look, nothing wrong with being prosperous. 
Nothing wrong with having money and material goods. As a matter of fact, I'm grateful for people who are successful. But what God is saying to Joshua is this. If you want real prosperity and success in your life, it's not gauged by material accomplishments. It's not gauged by the amount of money that you have in the bank. But rather, prosperity and success are linked to honoring my word. And so I think about how truth ought to be purchased. Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. Why? Because truth brings peace, doesn't it? Could I ask you a question? Are you looking for peace in your life tonight? You know, there are a lot of people that have trouble sleeping at night because they don't have, they don't have peace, do they? There are a lot of people that Materially speaking, they've got a lot. I mean, they have everything that a person could ever hope for. But in terms of real prosperity, they don't have it. I mean, they're not prospering spiritually. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. Now, there's a second thing I want to share with you. First, I think about our appreciation of truth. But secondly, an apprehension of truth. What about this idea of apprehending the truth of God? I want to begin by saying that we can know the truth, can't we? We can know the truth. Truth is available. I was reading earlier today, the availability of Scripture in this country is incredible. My understanding is that about 100 million Bibles are printed every year in the U.S., sells somewhere around 20 million copies of the Bible every year. Now, there was a time in America when most people had more than one copy of Scripture in their home, didn't they? Electronically, people have access to Scripture, don't they? We have an availability of truth, and truth is literally everywhere, isn't it? Now, think about this. God has made His will available to us in this book that we call the Bible. Peter said, God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And that is, everything that we need to know about life and godliness in Christ has been revealed, hasn't it? And so you think about the mind of God. God thought enough of us as His creation to reveal Himself to us. Now we can know that there's a God, can't we? And can't we know that there's a God on the basis of the world in which we live? By reasonable, by reasonable logic, we can conclude that there is a God based on design. Design demands a designer. This building, somebody took the time to design it, somebody took the time to build it. The home you live in, somebody designed it, they drew plans, and then Builders began working, assembling the home you live in. The world is evidence there's a God. But what about the mind of God? How would you know anything about God's character if He hadn't revealed it? How would you know about His nature? How would you know that He is a being of love and grace and mercy and kindness? God has revealed himself to us through creation, yes, but also through revelation. 
So I think about the availability of truth, but then not only is truth available, but it is attainable. You can know the truth. There are a lot of folks in the world today, they're going to tell you right up front, number one, truth is not absolute. They're going to say what's truth for you is not true for somebody else and vice versa. They're going to tell you that there are no moral absolutes, that there is nothing that there is nothing to this idea of absolute truth. Well, we know there is absolute truth. And we know that we can understand the Word of God. There are a lot of people that have this idea that you just can't understand Scripture, don't they? But didn't Jesus say, you shall know the truth, and what will the truth do? It'll make you free. Didn't Paul say that he received revelation from God? And didn't he say that he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words, whereby when you read, listen to him, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. All Paul is saying is that God has revealed himself to us, and through that revelation, inspired men wrote it down. And Paul said, when you read it, you can understand it. In Ephesians chapter 5, here's what Paul said. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now I will grant, it takes a lot of effort. When you look at Scripture as a whole, the fundamentals of the faith are not that difficult to grasp, are they? When we talk about God's plan of salvation, the church, when we talk about the work of the church, worshiping God, etc., those are just basic fundamentals of truth. I had a professor many years ago that used to talk about the fundamentals of the faith, and he identified them as the cardinal doctrines of the New Testament, the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the virgin birth, etc. Those are cardinal doctrines of the New Testament. So, can we understand truth? Well, the answer is yes. Now, it's going, to take, it's going to take effort. Do you remember Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 talked about some of the writings of Paul? And he said some of the things that the Apostle Paul wrote are hard to understand. He did not say we can't understand what Paul wrote. He's simply saying that there are some things that are difficult to understand. In other words, it's going to take some time. Meditation. You're going to have you're going to have to spend some time examining God's Word. I mean, think about, think about the various realms of study in the world today. People that want to be a medical doctor, that want to get into, into the field of medicine. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? I mean, you go to, you go to college, and then... You are accepted into medical school. You spend four years in medical school. You do a residency. And then if you specialize in a particular part of the human body, then that education is extended on out. Hopefully and prayerfully, you get to a point of competency. Well, that's the same with truth. We've got to, we've got to invest in a study of the Word of God if we're going to know it. And I really believe that if we spend time studying and meditating on the truth of God, we can know it like the back of our hand, can't we? If we don't know God's truth, 
Let me ask this question. Whose fault is that? If we don't know the truth of God, whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Is it the elder's fault? Is it the deacon's fault? Is it, is it the preacher's fault? Now, I understand elders have the responsibility of feeding the church of God. And in that feeding process, they have the authority over the pulpit and the classroom. And so they have to make sure that what's being taught and preached is truth, don't they? But ultimately, if we're going to know the truth, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot more time than just, what, three or four hours a week? You will never fully comprehend the truth of God if the only time you're feeding on that Word is Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You just won't know it. I mean, you'll know bits and pieces, but in terms of really knowing the truth, and particularly when we talk about growing in the truth, not going to happen. And you've got, you've got to invest. I mean, think about the school system. What do we go, nine months a year in our schools? Why do you think that is? Because day in and day out, week after week, month after month, there's a process for learning, isn't there? And teachers typically have to, they've got to lay out a plan of action. They've got a certain amount of material that they have to cover. Well, that's the same thing with truth. If you're going to know the truth, you've got to have a plan. You've got to plan your work and then work your plan. So I think about knowing the truth, but what about growing in the truth? Did you know that God demands that we grow in truth? Did you know that? Think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere, sincere milk of the Word. Why? That you might grow thereby. Peter here, talking about a babe in Christ. That is, somebody who has just been baptized into Christ. And he's saying that in order to grow, that individual has to feed on God's Word. Now you think about babies today. They begin with a diet of milk, don't they? And then as they grow and mature, they advance to more solid food. Well, the same thing's true with the Christian, isn't it? You begin feeding on milk, and then you advance, and you start cutting your teeth on the meat of the Word. And so, here's what Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord said. The Lord wants us to grow. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How many meals do you eat a day? One meal? Two meals? Three meals? Some may eat more than three. Is that you? Some people like to snack. Did you know that your spiritual growth is tied to how often you feed on God's Word. Now when I look around, not many of us are going without a meal, are we? You know one of the things that stands out in Jamaica, 
You don't see a lot of big people in Jamaica. You may see a few big people, but by and large, they're not very big. One reason is because they've got to work for everything that they eat. And if they don't work, they don't eat. And so they've either, got, they've, they've either got to go catch it or buy it or grow it or whatever. So if you're going to grow, you've got to invest in the proper diet. That proper diet is God's Word, isn't it? Didn't, didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that bodily exercise profits a little? But godliness is profitable for all things. Now think about this for a minute. In the world in which we live, there are a lot of folks that invest a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money into exercising their body. And we've got gym memberships and we've got spas and you name it to take care of our physical body, don't we? And then some people are very regimented with regard to their diet. Well, what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying is, and what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to invest in the right diet, you've got to exercise. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? I mean, if you want to look good, if you want to look athletic, and, and you want to really stand out, you've got to spend time in the gym, don't you? You've got to eat right. By the same token, if you want to grow and be what God wants you to be in terms of spiritual maturity, you've got to invest. You've got to exercise right. You've got to have the right diet. It all goes back to what? God's Word, doesn't it? So God demands that we grow. Now, what about the Is there a danger with regard to spiritual growth? Sure there is. Let me ask you to turn with me very quickly to the book of Hebrews and note with me in chapter 5 for a moment. Look at Hebrews chapter 5 and listen to what the writer says. The Hebrew writer on the long ago was addressing Christians that came out of Judaism. And sadly, some of those Christians had gone back to the law of Moses. Some were on the verge of doing so. And so what the writer is saying is we can't afford to go back to an inferior system because as he would say in chapter 8, look, the covenant that we now live under, he said it's a better covenant founded upon better promises. And so in Hebrews chapter 5, listen to what the writer said. Look at verse 12. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers... In other words, you ought to be competent in God's Word. And your competence level should have reached a point where you can teach others. Listen to what he says. For by, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now wait a minute. Could he be talking to some of us? Could he be talking to some of us in this day and time? That we should be at a point where we could sit down and talk to somebody about the gospel. But we haven't grown. And because we haven't grown, we need someone to sit down with us and refresh us 
with regard to the ABCs of Christianity. So listen again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He's writing to Christians that should have reached by this point in time a level or a measure of spiritual maturity. But he said, you know what? You haven't grown as you should have. And because of that, you're not qualified to feed on the meat of God's Word. So what you need is milk. Look at verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word of Righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Is it possible that there are some people that have been in Christ for many, many years, but when it's all said and done, really don't know the fundamentals of truth, don't know enough to share God's truth with others? The answer is yes. I mean, imagine if you can the picture that the writer here is painting. I mean, could you imagine... Could you imagine a 19 or 20-year-old coming home from college and asking his or her mom, where's my bottle? I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, could you imagine dropping by somebody's house and here, here are the teenagers and they're all gathered around watching television. They all got a bottle in their mouth. What would you think? So I'm not right with this picture. Isn't that, what you, isn't that what you would think? It's what I think. The writer is saying that there are some people who are in Christ who are still on a bottle. Is that you? Are you still on a bottle? Now look, I understand. If a person is new to the Christian faith, they're on a bottle. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, I mean, that's the only way to bring about growth. But the writer here is talking about people who ought to have been advancing in their faith. The problem is, rather than advancing, they were living in a state of spiritual immaturity. That's the danger. And that's what the writer here is addressing. Now look at verse 14, if you would. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age or those who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you know what the writer is saying? That as you spend time exercising and feeding on the Word of God, here's what happens. The byproduct of that is you have the ability to discern between what is right and wrong. What is good, what is evil. What is truth, what is error. But you can't do that if you don't know God's Word. If you're not growing, then really spiritually speaking, you have a liability on your hands. And so the writer is saying, look, you've got to advance. Now, the good, I guess if, I guess the flip side of this, the good side is, if you haven't grown, you can grow. 
If you want to grow, you can grow in Christ. You just got to put your mind, you got to set your mind to it, don't you? Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. Our time's gone. It has to do with an appreciation for truth. Now, when John wrote to Gaius, he said, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. God's Word will never benefit us if we don't make application, will it? If we don't take God's Word and internalize it, then when it's all said and done, we're the ones that miss out. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What he's saying is, you let God's Word find a home in your heart. And so, in allowing the Word of God to find a home in our heart, it will be reflected in a couple of ways. Number one, it's reflected in our attitude. It begins with our attitude toward the Word of God. Now think about the psalmist of old. In Psalm 119, I would encourage you over the next few days, read Psalm 119. If you want a book in the Psalms that really accentuates the blessings of God's Word, read Psalm 119. The psalmist said in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. The psalmist in Psalm 1, you remember the Bible says he meditated on the law of the Lord day and night. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he spent so much time in the Word of God? Because he had the right attitude, didn't he? As we grow and mature in the faith of Almighty God, as we, de as we develop an appreciation for the truth of God, we come to understand the importance of application. And so we develop we develop the right attitude when it comes to the Word of God. And then what about our worship to God? The more time we spend in God's Word and the more we grow in truth, the greater we appreciate the opportunity to worship, don't we? Didn't the psalmist say many years ago, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. I mean, to understand that we're in the presence of God, and that we are offering Him the adoration and praise that He's due. It's reflected in our attitude. And then I think about our attitude toward the work of God. The church is compared to the human body. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how there are many members but one body. The human body as we know it has many members. Every member, vital, right? And so what we want to do is, when it comes to the church, we want to find our place in the body, and then we want to use the abilities or the talents that God has blessed us with to His glory. So, it's reflected in our attitude, and then I really believe it's reflected in our actions. How we live every day. We develop a sense of fervency for the Lord. Go back and look at the early church. And really what you're going to see, people who were on fire for the Lord. I mean, they, they had a faith that had been ignited, hadn't they? I mean, didn't they? Do you remember in Acts chapter 8 when that great persecution swept the city of Jerusalem? And the Bible talks about how they'd been scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. 
And Luke said those who were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the Word. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John, they had healed that man at the gate of the temple. They're standing before the Sanhedrin council and they are instructed, they are commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. You remember what they said? We can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul would say that we are to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Where's all that start? Spiritual growth. So we are fervent in the Lord, and then secondly, we are fruitful for the Lord. Our lives are about bearing fruit for Jesus. Didn't Jesus teach in John chapter 15, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit? Are you bearing fruit for God? in the way you live? Are you bearing fruit in, in doing good for other people, in encouraging and helping and serving and praying for others? And then finally, it's reflected in our faithfulness to God. Because as we grow in Christ, we come to understand that what God's really interested in is faithfulness. Living for Him day in and day out. Is it easy? No. Sometimes it's, it's really tough, isn't it? And sometimes life, sometimes life is a roller coaster. Up, down, up, down, up, down. But we're faithful, come what may. Through good times, through bad times, because we have grown in Christ. Somebody asked me the other day with regard to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul talked about the inward man being renewed day by day. He asked, how does that happen? I said, well, one way is by reading and studying and growing in the Word. Another way is as we face the various trials of life, sometimes those things stretch our faith, don't they? I mean, the trials of life have, have the ability to refine us and to make us grateful for our relationship to the Lord, our dependence in the Lord, the hope of heaven, etc. Tonight I want to close by saying, if you're not growing in truth, you can. You've just got to decide right now. Make the decision. Maybe I'm not where I want to be, but I plan to grow. I plan to be more knowledgeable, more mature this time next year. Rome wasn't, Rome wasn't made in a day, was it? And we're not going to make a mature Christian overnight, but in time, we can become more what the Lord would have us to be. If you're here today and you're not tonight, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ you know what Peter told those assembled in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day? What he said to them is still gospel today, isn't it? Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you do that, God will put you in the church. And you'll live in hope of life eternal. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, you're not faithful, and you need the prayers of the church, look, we would be more than happy to pray with you. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
So tonight, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.